0: Well, let's take our Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Matthew. We started this series in the Sermon on the Mount quite a while back, and we are getting close to the end of this wonderful sermon that Christ preached. We are in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. We started looking at chapter 7 last week and thought about this what does it mean to judge? And this idea that we are to stop criticizing. We can make judgments, though, about what is right and wrong. But we can't judge somebody else's motives. And that's where it's often hard for us to, to delineate between the two. We see somebody doing something and we assume, well, of course we know why they did that or this. And tonight really is the other side of that. If we're to stop criticizing, then we ought to start loving. We ought to love others As Christ has commanded us to love them and I think in these verses tonight verses 7 through 12 we have wisdom about how to love in a way that helps us also know how to not just live a critical life towards others love is not just a feeling love is not just something we say to somebody in in the passion of the moment or when our emotions are running high rather In the Bible, love is always an action. True love is always an action. In fact, if you study the greatest chapter on love in the whole Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, every word there that's associated with love is always an action word. It's always doing something for someone else. While we understand those actions may also result in feelings biblical love is something that motivates us towards action to do something on the behalf or for someone else and our greatest example of love of course is the love of our heavenly father as demonstrated through his son Jesus Christ as he came to this world to die in our place his love was an action love it motivated him to do something for you and for me and for everybody who ever has walked this earth. And so as we think about this idea that we are to start loving, I want you to listen as I read verses 7 through 12. And verse 12 is what is commonly known as the golden rule. And a familiar verse to many but sadly often sort of taken out of context on its own and people try to make it stand alone without the rest of the context and they often mistake what the Bible is really saying in this great verse that we know as the golden rule. In fact, as I was doing some study for tonight, I came across a number of different articles out from all kinds of different people, philosophers, academics, um, various people who have lots of negative things to say about the golden rule. And they have all kinds of arguments against the golden rule because they'll make statements like this. Well, if you're supposed to do to somebody else as you want them to do to you, then how can you really say that you know what someone else wants? Or how can you say you can really put yourself in their shoes? Isn't The golden rule, bad, they'll argue, and you can read all kinds of arguments. about. Or is it overly simplistic? That's another thing that some people will say about the golden rule. But golden rule is a wonderful thing. It's from the Word of God, but I think it is important that we understand it within the context of what God's Word is saying. So let me pick up reading in verse 7. You follow along as I read out loud. Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you for everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened so if you ask you'll receive if you seek you'll find if you knock it'll be opened he says he asks this question what man is there of you Whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent, a snake? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This verse is really the conclusion of the main theme of the Sermon on the Mount, which is to give standards, God's standards for kingdom living. What does God want us to live like? And Jesus says, Dealt with all kinds of things. Remember, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he started with what we know as the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he tells us, this is what kingdom living looks like. This is what it looks like for children to live as, or or as people to live as children of the Heavenly Father, as children of the King. Then he moves into that section where he says, well, you've heard that it was said in the old times by the prophets, thou shalt fill in the blank. He had different laws that he dealt with. He said, but I say unto you, and he clarifies and he points them back to the true essence of the law. The law wasn't about self-justification. It wasn't to make me feel justified. Rather, the law is to prove that I'm a sinner and that you are a sinner and that no good deeds that we do are good enough to measure up to the law. We can't measure up. And so that's why we need Jesus Christ. And then Jesus here, of course, at the end of... Chapter 6, he goes through this whole passage as he talks about how we are to view life, that how we are to view uh, possessions, how we are to view those things that we want for ourselves. Do we race after them and spend our whole life just trying to get more for ourselves, Or instead, are we to seek the kingdom of God first and His righteousness? So we have these standards for kingdom living. Jesus has given us standards as they relate to ourselves, as they relate to morality, as they relate to religion, to money, and to possessions. And now here He's going to conclude the standards that are related to human relationships. This passage we're looking at tonight is the positive side of Jesus' summation of the principles that lead to right human relationships. Relationships. To love others in the way God wants us to love, first of all, requires that we do not do or do not live self righteously and carelessly criticize and unmercifully condemn others. That's what we looked at last week. If our attitude is a critical one, then that attitude of a critical spirit needs to be removed because we can't truly love if our intent is rather to criticize others and justify ourselves. Love is not just something negative. As I already said, it's something positive that we do for and to others. Some would say, well, I just, I just try not to hate anybody. Well, the absence of hatred does not necessarily constitute love either, right? It is something that is a positive or a productive side. That's really the true measure and test of love. In other words, you can't just walk around and say, well, I just love everybody. Well, you can say that if you want, but it's demonstrated through your action whether or not that's really true. Love is not seen in what we refrain from doing, but in what we do. And Jesus is going to give us three reasons here in this passage, three reasons to obey the command to love others as ourselves. So the first reason that he gives here is found in verses 7 and 8. And the reason that we ought to love others is because God's promise to His children demands it. God's promise to His children. What's His promise? Look at verse 7. Ask. And it shall be given you. Well, that's a great promise isn't it i wonder do you really ask your heavenly father for things or do you just try to do it in your own strength i'll figure this out i don't want to talk to anybody about no he says ask and it shall be given you that's a great promise to his children he says seek and ye shall find that word shall means it's confident this will come to pass If you're looking, you'll find what you're looking for. If, and he says, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And then verse 8 really just reiterates the idea in verse 7. Everyone that asks, receives. Everyone that seeks, finds. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now, some will take verses 7 and 8 and say, well, this is like a blank check, right? God's just saying, man, anybody wants to ask and God will give it to you. Seek, you'll find it. If you knock, it'll be opened unto you. But if you view this as a blank check, then very quickly you feel like God isn't a very powerful God because I've asked God for lots of things that He didn't give me. So is God lying here? Is God really unable to fulfill His promise? Or is he have, do we need some clarification to understand this better? One of the things that the Bible tells us to ask for in the book of James is that we ought to ask for Wisdom. Right? The Bible says in James chapter 1, I believe in verse 5, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, what does he say? Let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and he upbraideth not. He doesn't hold back. But then the next verse says this but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of a sea, driven by the wind and tossed. So if you want wisdom, you have to ask for it. Now, in this context, why would we be asking for wisdom? Verse 7, ask and it shall be given to you. Why would I want to slot wisdom into that ask there? Well, for one, we all need it. But specifically in this context, he's coming right off of verse 6. Remember, we looked at this at the end last week. Give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Lord, how am I supposed to know who the dogs are? How am I supposed to know who the swine are? How how am I supposed to know this? And he comes right into verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. That's why I think wisdom is one of the primary things here we ought to be asking for. God, as I face situations in my life, what do you want me to do? Lord, give me wisdom. I need wisdom to know how to deal with others. I need wisdom to be able to determine between right and wrong, to to have right discernment, to be able to decide which way, this way or that. Lord, give me wisdom. You need wisdom to know how to help a sinning brother and how to discern falsehood and wrongdoing. And if you need that wisdom, go to your heavenly father. He just says, ask. So clearly, wisdom is one of those things that we can ask for and we should be asking for. And if we're not asking for wisdom, we're missing out on one of the great things that God has promised to give us if we will but ask. Why would you ever run into a situation without first asking God for wisdom? I ask that question, why? It's kind of a rhetorical question because the reality is all of us at one point or another have run into something and all of a sudden, oh boy, I sure wish. I had stopped and asked God for wisdom because now I'm in this thing neck deep, and I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where I'm at, and I don't know what is the right way to go from here. If you lack wisdom, ask, ask, and He says it shall be given you. But I want to clarify this promise because I already made that statement, it's not just a blank check. I would say this, this promise is only for believers, it's only for believers. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, these verses don't apply to you. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look down in verse 11. He's speaking about He says, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? Now, God is the creator of all mankind, but is God the heavenly Father of all? No, He's the Heavenly Father of those who believe on Him, right? who are part of His family, who have been made joint heirs with Jesus Christ. It's a falsehood to believe that everybody is a child of God in the sense that they all have the same relationship with God that everybody else does. No, you must be a believer to be able to ask these things. I would say, secondly, this promise is only for believers who are living in obedience. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. The Bible says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So if you're asking for things that are contrary to God's character and outside of God's commandments, then don't expect God to supply them. That kind of makes sense, right? Why would your heavenly Father, who's perfect, who knows all things, who always does the right thing, give you something that is against His character, that would put you into sin? So this promise is for believers. It's for believers who are living in obedience. But along with that, another little clarification, this promise is for those who have the right motives, James, once again, talks about this. James chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, "'Ye ask, and receive not.'" James tells us why we don't always get what we ask for. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. So, a couple things. If you're asking God for something, first of all, make sure you're a believer. Secondly, Make sure you're living according to His commandments. Thirdly, make sure that you're not just asking selfishly. Because God says in James, the reason you're not getting what you're asking for is because you're asking for it selfishly. It's just so that you can consume for lusts. Another thought on this promise, this promise is for those who are submissive to God's will. 1 John 5, verse 14 says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. So this is one of those things I've found when I'm asking God for things and I'm not always receiving it. I think, why am I not receiving it? Well, my motives are right. I'm not trying to do this in the wrong way, but ah, maybe this is God's way of showing me this is not his will this is not his will it's not just a blank check right it's not just well if you ask you'll get whatever you ask for no you need to ask according to his commandments you need to ask according to his will you say well i don't know his will i say this a lot in life you'll never know unless you ask right about a lot of things you you won't know unless you ask now god has revealed his will to us in his word we know that to be true there are situations that you might face and you say, I'm not sure, even knowing what the Word of God says, what God's will is exactly in this situation. Ask Him. If, he, if you have the right motive, if you're doing it not contrary to His Word and He does give you what you're asking for, well, there's some good confirmation that what you're asking for was in line with His will. But if you have the right motives, if you're not going contrary to Scripture and you're asking for things and God doesn't give them to you, again, oh, that must mean that that's not God's will for my life. Sometimes we overcomplicate these things, but it's not complicated. It's actually very simple, but it begins by asking. First, or going back to the book of James again, We looked at that verse about wisdom in verse 5, but look at verse 6 through 8. He says, Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Which man? The man who doesn't ask in faith. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Lord, would you give me wisdom? Ah, you know, I'm not, no, I'm not sure I really want to obey you. It's, it's kind of like this. Why would you be asking God for something more if you're not being faithful with what He's already given you? All right? if you're not being faithful to what you have, if you're not seriously serving God with the resources, however limited they are, then why would God give you more? Don't be double-minded, in other words, either... Choose to follow God or don't, but don't be like this man who can't decide which way he wants to go. So we're talking about who this promise is for. It's for believers. It's for believers who are living in obedience, who have the right motives, who are submissive to God's will. But I think this promise is also for those who persevere in asking. He says, ask, seek and knock. Each word, the idea behind it is a little more intense than the previous one. To ask might be, hey, could I have this? To seek is to actively pursue, to knock. You're you're up at the door, knocking on the door. The, The words used here to describe this is like, you're knocking insistently. This is somebody who's persevering in their asking. What does this mean? Well, I think about it this way: You know how serious somebody is about what they want by how persistent they are in asking for it. I mean, how many times you've been walking through the mall or down through a store with your kids, and they see something on the shelf? Hey, can I have that? And you, no, no, we're not going to have that. You keep going, but wait, hey, can I have this? Can I have this? And they keep reminding, hey, mom. Uh, We were at the store today, and I saw that thing. You know, I'd really like to have it. And you go, oh, wow, this must be a big deal. And now you start to file it away in your head, like, okay, birthday's coming up or something. You know, I might think about this. Why? Because they stay persistent in the asking. That persistence in their asking reveals to us as their parents the serious desire that they have for it. I think sometimes God allows us to keep on asking for things, not because God needs to decide whether or not we're serious, because God knows our heart, but it often reveals to us whether we're serious about it or not. Like think about it, if you're asking God for wisdom, but you only ask Him for it occasionally, is that wisdom really important to you? Or is this sort of a last-ditch thing? Well, God, I've tried everything else, give me some wisdom. But if wisdom is the first thing we're asking Him for, God, I need wisdom, I need direction, I need help. It reveals to us what's important to us. So this promise, I believe, is for those who persevere in the asking, the seeking, the knocking. So why should you love others as yourself? Because God's promise to His children demands it. His promise is that if you ask, seek, and knock, He'll give you what you're asking for seeking for and knocking for you'll find it remember this all goes together with verse 12 about doing things to others so here's the promise to his children his promise is he's going to supply our need so if i know god's going to supply my need then that means i really can love others and treat others as I want them to treat me, because I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to run out of resources in serving the Lord. Treat others as you want to be treated. Verse 12, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and prophets. So, as a child of God, that means then I can treat others with generosity because I know that God is generous towards me. I can help to meet the needs of others and I don't have to be afraid that somehow I'm going to get out there and all of a sudden I'm not going to have any recourse or anything to fall back on because I serve a Heavenly Father who promises to provide all of my needs and to take care of me. Somebody described it this way. It's that we have... Uh, a great provision from the Lord. And it's like we have a shovel in our hand and we get to shovel it out and give it to others. But sometimes we're out there going, hmm, God's giving me all this. Okay, here's a spoonful for you. Here's a spoonful for you. But as we dish it out and share it with others, what God has given to us, as a child of God, we have His promise that He keeps filling up the resources. He keeps giving back to us as we give to others. Therefore, I can... Treat others as I want them to treat me because I know my Heavenly Father is there to take care of me. Sometimes in life you can feel like you're out on a limb, right? That you're the one out there in front and there's nobody there to help you and catch you. People will say things like this, well, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. If you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. And it often feels like that in life, but for the believer, that's not true. Because the promise of our Father is, if you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, it'll be opened to you. And that, to me, is a great promise that ought to thrust us even more forward in our willingness to love others. Because you're not just hanging out there all alone like, well, here I am. Boy, I'm doing so much for everybody else. No. No. You're not out in front. God's out in front. And you're just doing what God has already enabled you to do, equipped you to do, and supplied for you to do. You don't have to get out there and think, well, if I do this, I'm not going to know how to decide what to do. If you need wisdom, ask of God. He'll supply it. So God's promise to His children demands that we love others. I would say, secondly, God's pattern for His children demands it, demands that we love others. Look at verses 9 10 and 11. Matthew 7, 9, 10, and 11. He gives us an example here. You can imagine Jesus preaching this message to this crowd and and He looks out and He's describing this idea of asking, seeking, and knocking and He wants to make it real to them. So He looks out and He says, okay, which man of you, all the men in the crowd, raise your hand, that's what He's asking, right? Whom if His Son ask bread, will He give Him a stone? All right, dads, how many of you, if your son asked you for some bread to eat, said, Dad, would you make a sandwich for me? What kind of dad would go in and say, All right, son, here's a rock sandwich. Eat this. No. No dad, no loving father would do that for their son. They wouldn't deceive them about physical needs. Every father loves to meet the physical needs of his children. He expands on the idea. Verse 10, or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent, a snake? Hey, Dad, I'd like some meat to eat. Oh, son, I got something for you. It's some snake meat. Now, let me give you a little clarification on this, because maybe you think, oh, well, I like to eat rattlesnake. I know people like that that enjoy that. For the Jewish audience, to eat a serpent was to eat something that was ceremonially unclean. So no father is going to prepare, if he really loves his son, is going to feed him something that's going to cause him to sin. Right, That's what he's saying here. No father who cares about his children, who really loves his children, is going to try to put him into a position where it's going to harm him spiritually. In other words, earthly fathers care about the physical and spiritual needs of their children. And Jesus is pointing this out. Any earthly father would care about that thing. And he says that in verse 11, if ye then, being evil, and by the word evil there, he's not just saying you're a horrible per- dad, you're just a horrible person. His point is compared to God and His holiness, all of us are evil, right? All of us are sinners. So, so you as just a normal human being, if you even understand that, he says, how much more... Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask Him? What's God's pattern? Just like an earthly father takes care of the physical and spiritual needs of his children, so too our heavenly Father provides for the physical and spiritual needs of his children. And our heavenly Father does an even better job than any earthly father could even begin to do. It's God's pattern. The Scripture tells us that we are to be imitators of our Father, of our Heavenly Father. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 describes that idea of being an imitator as a follower. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Be an imitator of god be a follower of god just like a child is an imitator or a follower of his father and then in ephesians he describes for us what that looks like in the same way that christ loved us and gave himself to be an offering and a sacrifice to god so how should i be i ought to love others and be willing to sacrifice myself for their needs So the pattern that God sets for us is one of loving others. And we are to follow that pattern. Another way to think of this would be to say it this way. If we claim to be God's children, then we should reflect God's nature and character in our lives. You say, well, I'm not God. No, you're not. Neither am I. But if you're one of His children, then you ought to be working to reflect his character in your life. In other words, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you ought to look like Him. Just like the longer a child grows up in a home with his father or mother, the more he takes on their characteristics. God's pattern for His children. We know that God, our Father, does not ignore the physical and spiritual needs of His children. We also know that God is not limited in what He will give His children. I'm limited, you're limited, but God's not limited. God never comes up, well, son, I'd really like to give you that but I can't afford it. God would never say that. Now, God might have another reason not to give it to you. Well. This would not be the best thing for you to have right now. But God never comes to the end of His own resources, and that's the reason why He can't supply your need. God always has the resources to supply your need. God never gets into a situation, well, I wish I could help you with this, son, but I'm just not sure what the right thing is to do either. God never says that because God has all the wisdom that we need. God's not limited in what He will give His children. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 reminds us that we are blessed as the children of God. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. When you go home tonight and you look around your house, you may not feel blessed. When you go home and you open up your online banking and you look at what's in there, you may say, "Well, I'm I'm not not as blessed as I'd like to be. But when we look at God and we realize that He's holy, we're not. That He's in heaven and we're on this earth and He sent His Son to die for our sin and He's offered to forgive us for our sin and if you've trusted in Him, He has forgiven us and He's already preparing a place for you in heaven someday and yes this life has its challenges it has its ups and downs but you can love others unconditionally in the same way that christ loved us unconditionally because he's not going to run out of supply i don't know about you but my natural tendency is to only want to love people that will love me back. I remember confession time. My wife and I were looking through our list of people that she sends gifts to for their birthdays and Christmas, and I said, well, do they ever send us anything? She said, no. I said, then why are we sending them something? My natural tendency is... Why would I send you a present if you're not going to send me a present? That's me in my flesh. I'm thankful my wife is a better Christian than I am. That she loves people who don't always love back in the same way. But you know, the example of our Heavenly Father is, even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us when we don't love Him back. He cared for us when we didn't care for Him, and He still cares for us, even as His children now, if you're a believer in Christ, when you still don't always care for Him as you ought. I'm so thankful that God doesn't give us what we deserve. sure I'm thankful that He's not fair, (laughs) because if He was fair, we'd all be condemned to an eternity in hell. God is good, and He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. If we want God to treat us with loving generosity as His children, then we should treat others also because we are those who bear His likeness. We say we're children of God. How can you be a child of God and not be someone who gives love to other people, who demonstrates love to other people? But so many times we don't live as children of God, we live as selfish individuals who are just trying to get for ourselves, and we only love those who love us back, and that's not Christ-like love. That's not God's love. That's not golden rule love. No, that's self-serving love. That's loving yourself. Everybody's good at that. I know we live in a world, they'll say, well, you just need to love yourself more, no, no, the reason people do the things they do, even if it's harmful to themselves, it's because they love themselves. We're all born that way, loving ourselves. Our problem is not a lack of self-love. Our problem is a lack of Christ-like love because we need to know and understand Christ's love for us. So God's promise demands that we love others. God's pattern For us as His children demands that we love others and also God's purpose. His purpose for His children demands that we love others. Matthew 7 verse 12, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do ye even so to them for this is the law and the prophets. The perfect love of your heavenly Father is demonstrated best through you when you, as His child, treat others as you wish to be treated yourself." Often the golden rule, it's it's, it's one of those sort of cherry-picked Bible verses, right, that people all over the world say, well, I live by the golden rule. I don't mean to be critical, but I do want to be correct. I don't believe that you can live the golden rule if you're not a child of God. You you can try to, you can attempt to, but the best you can do at that point is to be loving to others, but you're always going to revert back to selfishness at some point in some way, somehow. Rather, the golden rule is sort of general direction for believers to remind us of where our direction and our love is. It's always outward. It's always towards others. Because the golden rule used selfishly is sort of look around like, hmm, let me love others like I want them to love me. Okay, how do I want to be loved? Oh, what do I want to get? Okay, I'll start doing that for others, but I sure hope they give it to me back. And if they don't, I'll find somebody else to, to love how I want to be loved and see how they respond to that. The golden rule is not just something to sort of be used wherever and however. No, it's an example. It's a demonstration. It's a pattern for us to remind us our love is not to be self-love. It's God's kind of love that is an outward-facing love that focuses on ministering to others' needs. And the way I know how to love better in an outward-facing sense is to think, boy, how would I want somebody to love Treat others as you want them to treat you. But the way you treat others is not determined by how you expect them to treat you. Well, I already know they're going to be mean to me, so I'm just going to be mean to them. Or the way you treat others should not not be determined by how you think that they should treat you, but rather he says how you want them to treat you. The golden rule has to be lived out in conjunction with Scripture, and I think that's very evident from our text. Look at verse 12. He says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you do that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. What's the last phrase? For this is the law and the prophets. This is what I said earlier about you can't really live the golden rule if you're not a a believer, a child of God, because... What are the law and the prophets? Well, he's speaking about living out the word of God. This goes right back to so much of the previous conversation that Jesus has had as part of this Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying, you know what the law and the prophets said, but I say unto you, he wanted them to actually live out the word of God. And what was happening? Well, you had religious people who were saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. This is what spirituality is. This is what religious living looks like. But they were doing it for themselves. They were going out. The Bible talks about how they were giving just to be seen of men. They were praying and fasting in public places. So people, wow, look at that person. They sure pray a lot. Oh, man, they look so hungry. They must really be spiritual. They were doing all these things to be seen of men. And therefore, he was saying, it's not true. It's not real. It's phony religion. It's hypocrisy. And to love others for our own purposes is also hypocrisy. To be critical of somebody else is to try to justify my own position and my own self. So to love as God loves, I need to remember His faithfulness and His promises to me. I need to look at His pattern. How did Christ love me? We love Him because He first loved us. And then I need to examine, what's God's purpose for my life? What's His purpose? It's for me to live for His glory, not for mine. I don't love to try to get. I love because God loved me and because I want others to know the love of Christ as well. Well, that sure takes the idea of love and really turns it on its head, doesn't it? And you could then ask yourself this question, well, if I spend all this time sacrificing for and loving others, okay, I know you already said we shouldn't just love ourselves, but pastor, I'm concerned, who's going to love me? Who's going to take care of me? Well that's the admonition of this pastor or of this passage. It's your heavenly Father. He's the one that's there for you. He's the one that loves you. He's already demonstrated, by sending, by sending His Son to die for you. He demonstrates it by giving us those spiritual blessings and providing even for our physical needs. So instead of going home and looking around your house and saying, well, I sure wish I was more blessed, you ought to say, man, the fact that I have anything is a gift from God. Boy, I sure have a good Heavenly Father. It doesn't mean I, I go to my house and I look at it and then I go over to your house and say, boy, I wish my house was like that instead of like this, or I wish my car was like this, no, that's now comparing myself with somebody else. Instead, I'd be looking at my father and saying, boy, God's so good. He's just, he's just loved me so much. Look what he gave me. Often we like to compare ourselves. to. It'd be like, can you imagine? And this might have happened at your house at Christmas time. Or at Christmas, everybody's opening up their gifts. And all the kids rip open their gifts, and then they check everybody else's gift to see if they got the bigger one. And you realize when you see a child do that, they're loving themselves, right? Well, if my mom loved me, she would give me a bigger gift than everybody else. No, that's you loving yourself. Your mom did love you. That's why there's a gift under the tree with your name on it, right? And when we go home, we ought to look and say, boy, God loves me. There's so many gifts. They're all around. Look at what He's blessed me with. Instead of opening it one. Well, wish somebody else, you know, I wish I had their gift. Stop loving yourself. Love the one who gave you the gift and be thankful for it. That's a challenge to our flesh though, isn't it? It happens every birthday when when you open your presents, there's always that big one that you're most excited about and there's all the little ones. I thought somebody once said it's the thought that counts, right? The fact that they gave you a gift, that's what really should matter. Instead of trying to judge whether or not God loves me by how big the gift is or how much He's given me, instead, we ought to realize if He's a good Father who always gives good gifts, who gives us what, what we need when we ask for it, He provides for our needs, then that means what He's given me is exactly what I need. It's exactly what's best for me. And if that's true then I can take that to the bank and I can live in that confidence and love others not holding back or concerned. well, am I going to get enough back for me? No, I can just love others generously because God's given me exactly what I need and He keeps supplying my needs and I can walk forward by faith. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense biblically. I think the challenge is We have to make sense of that practically in day-to-day life. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to get frustrated. It's so easy to feel stressed. It isn't big enough. I didn't have enough of this or enough of that. No, your Heavenly Father, He doesn't look at you and say, well, I know you want some bread, but here's some rocks. Your Heavenly Father doesn't say, I know you asked for good meat, but here's some snake meat. Enjoy that instead. No, He gives you... (laughs) what you need and he supplies your need it i think it it means taking our eyes off of ourselves and getting them back on our heavenly father and one of the ways we do that is by taking our eyes off of ourselves and looking to the needs of others and ministering to their needs because as you minister to others you're reminded wow i have been given a lot you ever notice that like when something bad is going on in your life one of the most encouraging things is to go find somebody else to help and minister to. It takes your mind off your own struggle, and you're, oh, boy, that person has a lot greater need than me. I'm thankful for some of those things, even in a church body, because it happens that way. Monday night, I got a call from a friend in Louisiana, Dave Keck, and he told me about a lady in their church whose brother and sister-in-law were here, are here in Houston at Texas Children's, and Tuesday morning, their two week old baby was having open heart surgery. So yesterday morning, I got up extra early and I drove down to Texas Children's Hospital. And I parked and I'm texting this guy I've never met before. And I ride up to the eighth floor of the Legacy Tower, the NICU right there. And I go and I meet this couple who have six children back home with her parents and family members. And I just had the opportunity to pray with them and talk with them for about 30 minutes. And it was a blessing to be able to just spend some time with them, but it was also a stark reminder. There's a lot tougher. You know, God answered prayer. I got a text from him uh, this morning. He said, thank you for praying. The surgery went well. Obviously, she's in the recovery process. This is a little tiny infant in the NICU there, and it's going to be several weeks before they can even go home. In fact, because of the type of surgery they... They couldn't even sew her up yet, so she's laying, I mean, you just imagine this poor little body in there, and I go, boy, God's good to me. He's so faithful to me, and to them, too. And then I came back over here, and I was working on getting some study done, and then Ruth Conover stopped by. She just had her own surgery. We've been praying for her, and she said, Pastor, would you pray for Linda Dalmaso? Her cousin just passed away. Linda never had any siblings of her own, and so her cousins were like her siblings, and one of them lives right here in the Heights, one lives up towards Dallas. Well, the one near Dallas he passed away, and so I got in my car, I drove over to Linda's house, and I knocked on the door, and I went in and just spent some time with Linda, praying with her, and you know what? with someone else who was driving her, she can't drive herself anymore and took her up to Dallas. Pray for Linda. She's gonna be up there for the next several days um, with the funeral and just family time and all this. This is a very hard time for her. But you know, as you serve others, you realize, man, I know I faced difficult things in my life, but God's so good. He's he's blessed me. But it was amazing even talking with Linda, she just she kept looking around, she said, she was very concerned about her cousin, didn't know if he knew the Lord or not. She tried to share Christ with him and just he didn't really seem like he was receptive to it and she looked at me and she said pastor i just don't know how people make it who don't have a church family even all that linda felt blessed and and cared for even though she's going through the death of a loved one and as i go through my week it's like the lord reminds me over and over like stop being jealous of what somebody else has i've given you everything you need in fact I've given you a lot more in some ways than what other people are going through right now. So because I've given you so much, now you can scoop some of it out and encourage them and help them. And the beautiful thing then, when they're going through a tough time, this wonderful thing about the body of Christ, then someday there'll be a time maybe when they're turning around helping me. But you know what? Even without that, my Heavenly Father is going to take care of me and give me exactly what I need because He's good. It's hard to... One of the best ways to do it is this golden rule living to treat others as you would want to be treated, to look out and say, wow, there's a lot of needs out here that are a lot bigger than mine. Well, I don't have everything I want, but I have everything. He's he's given me a pattern that that's how he treats me. And he's given us a purpose to love as Christ loved. Let's pray, Lord. A lot to think about. I think most everybody in this room probably knows this stuff. It's not new, but it's something we need to be reminded of, something I needed a reminder about this week. Father, we thank You for the great blessings that we have in Christ. Lord, the spiritual blessings of eternal life, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Lord, you've also provided physically for us as well, given us air to breathe, water to drink, food to eat. Yes, we know the prices at the grocery store are going up, but God, we know that you provided for us to have before and you'll provide for us to have as we go forward. Help us not to look to ourselves for the provision or look to some other person or to the to the government somehow say, well, if they don't provide, I won't make it. No, Lord, we have everything we need from you. Help us to rest in that and instead of being selfish to look around and see who we can minister to and love. There are so many people going through so many trials and struggles in their life. And some of those people are right here in this room. Help us to lift one another up in prayer and in love and in support as you would have us do. And help us to trust you to provide for our needs as you've promised to do.